This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. What's up, everybody? Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. JJ Jerez here, Arif Dean, both of Mile High Sports, and then DNVR's Megan Angley joins the podcast. Megan, how are you doing? How's your off-season so far? Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. You know, it's the part of the off-season where it's dragging on a bit and then starting to miss hockey. It's definitely been good, but I'm definitely missing being in a cold ice arena more and more. Yep, it's definitely that time of the year. It's both, like you said, dragging and kind of flying by. We're coming up on three months since the end of the Avalanche season here, probably in about a week from now. We'll be three months since Game 7. Uh, last year, three months from their last game, was already training camp. Like, it's it's crazy how different this season has been. And, you know, I think I say this to every single guest. I'm enjoying the longer break, but I'm also excited for it to get started again. Right on. Well, as the summer press box tour of 2023 continues, Megan, we haven't discussed the Ross Colton deal. We haven't recorded since last Sunday. And uh, of course, the deal was done on Monday. So uh, we were just a day too early there. So I wanted to get in with both of you guys a little bit. Just the the Ross Colton deal, of course, signs four years, four mil each year. Um, I I don't know. It seems like a, a pretty good deal for both sides here. Yeah, you can go ahead and get started, Megan. All right. You know, it's an appropriate time to talk about it after a little bit of time has passed, too, with dust settling now. I think people are feeling more comfortable with the overall value of the contract. I think getting term actually makes this of greater value to the Avs in a cap area era where we're anticipating it going up in the near future. I think this is a pretty solid deal for Russ Colton and for the Avalanche. It's something that I think they were anticipating, too when they targeted this player in the first place, this is likely what they were aware of the situation would be with Tampa if they wanted to keep him. And in looking at other offseason moves and other teams, what they've done to resolve the issues at 2 and 3C actually feels very cost-effective in what they've done with Johansson and Colton together. And a little bit of this offseason feels like they're banking on the upside of a couple players like who have had good seasons, like with Johansson in his recent 2021 season and Ross Colton has had 20 goal seasons. It feels like they're banking on these players achieving that and exceeding that. And I think it's a fair thing to expect from Ross Colton at, I believe, 27 years old to sort of step into a JT Comfort-esque role and also satisfy some of the things that they are missing in Gabriel Laniscog, a player now who has great net front presence in Ross Colton. These are the kinds of things I think they were looking to invest a little bit in as well. And because there's some runway now for his time in Colorado, it's a contract that I think we're going to feel a lot better in year two than we might in year one, because there's going to be some adjustment that happens. And once he gets integrated to the buy-in that's expected in Colorado, And he's coming from a place that is a championship caliber team as well. So I think he has a lot of this in his DNA already. 
once he has a year to integrate with the cultural demands of Colorado, I think we're going to find that he fits in so well here. We're going to be looking at that fourth year fondly. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a there's several thoughts that I had about the deal when it broke. Uh, you know, we've kind of touched on this a little bit every week since the trade broke back in late June. Uh, but ultimately, like you said, like you can't really judge the deal as a whole, the contract, all of that until obviously the contract, the term, the number is signed, because it gives you a little bit of a look into what the Avalanche feel about this player. And the first thought in my mind is last week, this was actually something JJ and I discussed, and I made the prediction that it's either going to be a one year deal for a little bit of money, or it's going to be four plus. And I didn't see two or three as an option for this exact reason. I thought either the Avalanche are going to be like, you know what, screw it. We cannot give this guy the kind of money that he wants. Let's give him one year. He's a stopgap. We'll kind of reassess next summer when there's a ton of UFAs and more cap. Or we're going to invest that second round draft pick that we traded, part of the new hook trade, into this player. We're going to give him a little bit more term and a little bit more dollars. Uh, but it's because we trust that this player is going to get better with the deal. And it's ultimately going to end up being a good deal. The prediction I had was four times three, seven, five. I looked at the deal that JT just came off of. I looked at the type of player Colton is come, you know, he's already had a 20 goal season, a cup winning goal. He's played in a couple Stanley cup finals. You know, he's, he's been through it already. And I looked at that and I said, he's going to get a little bit more than JT just got, especially because you're buying three UFA years. So, you know, is it an overpayment? I mean, I, in, if, if I think he was worth four times three, seven, five, then yes, in my brain, it's an overpayment. Is it a massive overpayment or worth talking about? Not really. It's $250,000 in the season where you can do something like this because you have Landis Cog's LTIR cap space to play with. So that's obviously something that the Avs have. It's the perfect year to be able to have that 7 million. And if or when Landis Cog's healthy again, the, the cap starts to shoot up, you're fine. So that was the first thought I had. The second thought I had about him is... I feel like giving him four years at four million, you know, there were those murmurs back on July 1st that the Avalanche were going to give a last ditch effort to try to sign JT. And this was even after they brought in Colton. I really wonder what they gave JT as an offer now. I'm so curious about that because if they were willing to give Colton four and JT just had a 50 point season, obviously he ended up signing for 5.1. Were they giving JT like four years at four and a half million. Was it closer than we thought? Like, I'm so curious where that number was with JT, because in my brain, there was no way that the Avalanche's third line center was going to make anything more than two and a half million. But that's when I thought they were going to have a second line center that was making more than what Johansson's making. So I'm just so extremely curious where JT would have landed on that. And then the third thought for me is exactly what you th said. I think by the time we get to the end of the deal, it's going to end up being a lot stronger of a contract than we, you know, look at it to be already. And not that he's going to turn into a, you know, a stable or a consistent top six guy, but it does give me those vibes that we got. I wrote about this the other day when the Avalanche traded for Lekkinen, when the Avalanche traded for uh, or signed Devontae, uh, traded for Devontae, signed Val Nachushkin and traded for Andre Burakovsky. Those players where they see something in them, but they weren't given the opportunity to grow. It makes me wonder if there is like an off chance that by year two, even of this deal, he's the one playing two C and Johansson's playing three C. I just wonder what they see. Is he that JT Comfort replacement? That's a middle six center that can play on the second line in a pinch, but ideally not full time. Or is he a guy that you can see like Lekkinen and Berkey and all them that just kind of needs an opportunity to prove, Hey, this is a consistent second liner. 
Yeah, that's where I was going to go with it because I like I like the way Megan kind of phrased it. Almost like there was a slight emphasis on slight overpayment for him that so that leads kind of high expectations. They kind of did the same thing with Miles Wood on the term, right? There's a uh, long term, so I think that raises expectations, but they're not going to do that unless they feel like these guys are going to thrive and grow their game, get under the Jared Bednar system, and suddenly they're going to blossom into a better player than they've ever been. So um, I think, you know, we know that for Miles Wood, that he was on their radar for a long time. You can only assume that they've done the thorough homework on a guy like Ross Colton and, and they're willing to give him this kind of dollar because in the future we are going to be sitting here looking back on this podcast and say, remember how we said that this was going to be a really great deal. So I think, I have the utmost confidence in their, I guess, due diligence on the process and um, their uh, uh, their confidence in themselves to be able to, to make a deal happen like that. If there's one thing I want to say about the Avalanche, it's as much as we will sit here every single week, uh, and Megan, I'm not sure if you agree with this, but I'm sure you see it too, and kind of not necessarily bash, but question the Avalanche's ability to develop prospects and to have those guys on ELC's play, as much as we're willing to do that, I am willing to do the opposite with their pro scouting staff and say that they are very good at identifying talent that needs an opportunity. They've done it way more times than we can count, starting from, you know, Ryan Graves. There's probably guys before that that I can't think of. Devon Taves coming in here. I remember we did a podcast with Ryan Clark right before he moved to Seattle. And we talked about the expansion draft coming up in 12 months from that time. And we asked him who the Avalanche might give up in the expansion draft. And his prediction was Devon Taves. They traded for him to have him for a year to probably lose him. But that way you can keep Ryan Graves and everybody else. Like how much has changed since then in terms of how we look at Devon Taves and how we view that player. So their pro scouting staff deserves a ton of credit. And that's why, like you said, like it's hard to really judge this deal because you know there's a lot of due diligence it was the same thing with miles wood he came on to zoom the other day when we chatted with him and said chris mcfarland told me that he's been scouting me for years or you know has wanted me for years i think it's an excellent point too because we more or less see the abs lose new hook to make russ colton happen and so in addition to this contract there is value lost in a young player who still conceivably has upside it's just not going to be realized as immediately as the abs need it to be in new hook right now. And that adds to then what they see in Ross Colton and why they're so keenly interested in him. And I think this is captured perfectly in recent times in such a good fit. They found in Lekkonen, like you guys have mentioned, but even for the short term and at the point in the off season that they found Evan Rodriguez to see Evan Rodriguez get Ross Colton money kind of in Florida begs the question because we watched Evan Rodriguez presumably came to Colorado to play a third line role, but absolutely exceeded that had a pretty excellent year on the whole. I know there were points in the season where he became less visible and people were critical, but he ultimately played well above a third line role, oftentimes in the top six, becoming a mainstay there. And he got paid at the end of the day. I think they see kind of a flex between both heaven Rodriguez and JT Comfort being versatile in Ross Colton. And I think they want to invest in that. Yeah, I mean, it was the depth that was kind of their downfall against the Seattle Kraken. And, you know, that's ultimately why the Avalanche's playoff run is almost three months since the last game is because of that. So uh, I think they did a great job there. There was a tweet that Evan Rowell put out that I thought was really fascinating. Uh, JT Comfer 5.1, Alex Newhook 2.9, total of $8 million, the exact same dollar amount as Ross Colton and Ryan Johansson. So the Avalanche could have signed 
you know, probably for a little bit less given you usually overpay for UFA a little bit in JT uh, for the Red Wings, but they could have signed JT and Newhook for the same amount of money on the 2C and 3C that they got Johansson and Colton. But number one, they felt the need to shake it up. They felt that there was a better fit. You know, Newhook has the potential to rise, but he, to them, didn't fit what they need him to be right now. And JT is what he is. And they feel with both Johansson, there is potential growth and Ryan Johansson. Well, for Johansson, there's potential uh, rebounding. And for Ross Colton, there's potential growth. And somehow they went from JT and Newhook to Colton and Johansson. And in the, pros- in the process, got a first round draft pick out of that switch, which is just the most fascinating part. It wasn't an even trade. They ended up with more in terms of a high prospect. So I think that's fascinating. And it just kind of goes to show, like you said, how much they see in this player and how much they're investing in him because of the type of guy that they think he can be. Yeah, I guess uh, let's shift to the most recent news. Since you're bringing up Evan Rowell already, I saw it first from Evan Rowell. I know he's been on top of it for a while. Nikolai Kovalenko, it sounds like he's taking a step closer to joining the Avalanche. Of course, he's going to sign with the Avalanche, but stay um, back in Russia and and play another season before he does make that next step. But I guess thoughts on that. We were just kind of bashing the prospect pool. Here's maybe somebody coming up through that prospect pool. And Megan, I know prospects are kind of your thing. Um, what do you think about somebody like this? And and then let's dive a little bit more into uh, just the rest of the prospect pool for the Avalanche right now. Kovalenko is certainly a bright spot in the prospect conversation. And we recently did our prospect pyramid and Kovalenko is in a tier of his own at the very top of it because of how pro ready we believe he is. And I haven't gotten to watch as much of his game as Evan has, but I think being in a league among men, And being as productive as he has been, it's a pretty consistent body of work to now that he has under his belt at just 23, the pro readiness is evident there. And then just one more year then gets him primed, I think, to make the immediate leap to the National League. And I think that's the only way that it's going to be possible. I've already penciled him in coming over in the spring of this year when his season finishes because he wouldn't be coming unless he was ready to make that leap to the National League level. There's probably going to be some adjustment that happens to North American ice. And I'm happy to see that happen sooner rather than later because he is so young. It's the perfect time for him to make that transition. And I feel the Avs could actually use his skill set. He does have some versatility on wing that with this kind of forward position unfilled on that third line, there are people that you could maybe pencil in there like a Logan O'Connor, but I still, in my eyes view, a forward spot is up for grabs on the Avs lineup as currently constructed. Now, I think they're going to still come up with some kind of a solution for the start of the season, but I do believe Kovalenko has been a part of their future plans because they are keeping a close eye on him. And I'm really excited because this will be a greater reflection of how maybe some of the scouting from the draft side of things has come for the Avs because He hasn't necessarily been developing like here in Loveland, but this is a player that they sought out purposefully and we'll be able to see now that fit in Colorado and hope that this is a win for the prospects in their development. Russians don't come over to play in the the AHL, right? They're not going to come over. There's no reason to. Yeah. For the most part, there's no reason to. If you have a good opportunity in Russia and you're going to get paid to play there, uh, I, I don't see a reason why you should come to the AHL, to be honest with you, uh, especially because of the comfort that you have in the KHL. So it is a unique situation for prospects like that. And it's always nice to see guys like this kind of, 
slip through the cracks and end up late round picks. Not that he's the same type of player, but kind of similar to Kirill Kaprizov. The Minnesota Wild signed or drafted him and waited nearly, I think, a half decade or a little bit more than a half decade even. And then suddenly here's this kid coming out of nowhere that 31 other teams were like, oh, crap, where did this guy come from? And that's kind of going to be the similar idea that you get with Kovalenko. Not that he's going to be, uh, you know, there's a lot of hype around him. Not that he's going to be a 90-point guy by any means. but That's the thing. There's always hype around the young Russians that come into the avalanche, right? I mean, I could think back to what Miranov. I mean, <laughs> I know Kamenev. Yeah. Kamenev was a, a trade, but Kamenev was a bust. So, I mean, I don't know what... I, I hope he pans out, but I th- I always have this slight seed of doubt when it comes to any there's, Russian prospects. Just given given the numbers that Kovalenko has in Russia, there's something a little bit different about him this time around. Uh, I think the Avalanche turned the corner with this one. But even if he is that middle six flex forward that's going to play on your third line, like, I don't know, with Colton and Wood, if that's what ends up happening, and can be that insurance marker for... Jonathan Drouin's not playing too well. Lekkinen or Nichushkin or Rantanen are injured or whatever it may be. Um, those are valuable pieces. Like we just spent the first 15 minutes of this podcast talking about how the Avalanche lost because of their depth and they went and invested in a couple guys in Wood and Colton. We saw the, the Tampa Bay Lightning have one of the best seasons in NHL history and then get swept. And then what put them over the hump was that third line with Gordon Coleman and Goudreau to three straight Stanley cup finals. Obviously they didn't have them for the last year, but we've seen this time and time again, that these types of depth players, those flex third line guys are the guys that are going to help you get over the hump. And and that's the kind of player that Kovalenko is probably going to be. So um, I think it's really great to see that the avalanche finally have something here. Uh, I saw the athletic just did a top 50 prospects and they, uh, they didn't have Kovalenko in there. And I think that that's completely fine. I know a lot of people were questioning that a lot of people were tweeting me about that. I think that's completely fine. Not that I'm bashing Scott Wheeler's work by any means, but again, there are these types of Russian players that are in their low twenties, you know, 22, 23, whatever Kovalenko's exact age is at this point that they kind of slip through the cracks. And uh, this is the type of guy that I think you should be excited for. Uh, temper the expectations. He's not the next Miko Rantanen, but he is, you know, looking like he's going to be a valuable NHL player. And that's all you need if you're the Avalanche. You need valuable NHL players where you don't have to, no disrespect, end up with Matt Nieto in your top six in the playoffs. And that's the type of thing that Kovalenko is going to give you. So I think, I think it's great to see that he's going to come over. Uh, I think it's great to see that he's looking to sign. And Megan, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the KHL season around ends around like February, March-ish time. That's what I'm imagining too. Okay. Yeah. So then in that case, I don't know exactly when the trade deadline is, but he'll be in, he'll be in around then. If he signs a contract now, because I know a lot of people were tweeting me, he's on the Avalanche's reserve list. He can come over any time. It does not have to be before the trade deadline. It would be similar to... Well, not similar to, but, you know, it would be kind of similar to what uh, Kale McCarr did in terms of being able to make his debut in the playoffs, uh, because there are certain rules around college free agents that are your prospects. There are certain rules about having a player signed in on your reserve list before the trade deadline. And that's what the Avalanche are looking to do here soon with Kovalenko. Yeah, I guess, Megan, you've done the homework on, on him, right? I guess what makes you think that he he's going to jump right in and be a good fit? on this lineup because again, I still have that seed of doubt until I, I've never seen him play hockey. So I, I don't really know um, this way or that way, but uh, of course you guys have done, have done the research. So I guess what, what are your thoughts? 
I think it's following his trajectory of growth. Like he comes off a 54 point season and it's a matter of circumstance in some ways as well, because he is 23 physically he's matured. And so this isn't like an 18 year old fresh out of juniors that we're looking to build this kind of expectation around. This is someone who now has, I'm just looking at his elite prospects, several seasons of pro hockey in a men's league under his belt. And that's what I'm chalking it up to. And then I alluded to the versatility on wing, but being utilized in different ways than throughout his time in the KHL and the MHL has allowed him to develop a part of his game that is going to be demanded of him in a more depth role. Um, But being able to find the offense is something that the Avs have needed from their depth. And it was almost a struggle at times for the entirety of the Avs, excluding Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon, to score at one point. I just felt like the production was down on a hole and seeing a player being able to find the back of the net at a pro level in a men's league among men gives me a little bit hope that he's more pro ready than some other prospects we've looked at. And the other context is this is a six round pick that we are talking about being NHL ready straight from the KHL. I still think this is such an accomplishment even if he finds himself in more of a 13th man place with the Avs to start and to start making that adjustment to North American ice. It's still such an exciting thing. And at 23, the sky is the limit too. There's still a lot of runway left for him to Mm -hmm. realize a lot of that potential as well. Yeah. And something I want to throw out there that's kind of unrelated to his potential. I often forget that not not every hockey fan has the same starting point. So for those that don't know, Nikolai Kovalenko's father, Andre Kovalenko played for the avalanche for I believe 20 something games. I have it pulled up here. 26 games, 11 goals, 11 assists in the 1995-96 season before being one of the three pieces that brought Patrick Waugh and Mike Keane to the Colorado Avalanche. So I think there's just a great connection there to the former Avalanche that Kovalenko in 1995, Andre Kovalenko was one of the pieces and like the bigger piece, the young piece obviously with Martin Ruchinski, but the young prospect piece that brought in Patrick Watt to help the Avalanche win a Stanley Cup. And now the Avalanche here in 2023-24 want to do the same thing with his kid being a big part of it, obviously, in the sense of jumping into the lineup, not as a trade piece. So uh, I love the connection there as well with him. Fun fact from Arif. I love it. Two points. Award to Tariff. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I know DNVR and BSN, I mean, they've always been on top of the prospect game, but... Also, Megan, that's always been your thing as well, right? I mean, why can you get into that a little bit for us? Why is it that you uh, have this attraction to the prospects and to the AHL, the fringe players? Because I've seen you in the in the Avs dressing room, and you love to go talk to the guys that just came up from Loveland and chat chat a little bit about that stuff with them. Um, so, you know, wh- where does that stem from? I think it is born from how I was introduced to the sport in the first place. I'm. I consider my path to hockey unconventional, and I was in middle school when I discovered hockey, and it was through college hockey. It was an Air Force hockey game. My family was Air Force, so we were just going to Air Force athletic events. We had done football and basketball and finally found ourselves at hockey, and I knew the minute I laid eyes on it that I was done for. This was a sport that just immediately grabbed hold of me, and I think watching it at the collegiate level and watching a program, like, it's a D1 program, Air Force is, but it's not even necessarily touted as some of the best D1 programs in the world right there in the cadet ice arena. And 
I liked seeing hockey at that level, though. It feels more tangible to me. And so I started watching more college hockey before I ever set sight on an NHL game. And then being down in Colorado Springs, there were a couple AAA teams. So I watched some AAA hockey. This is where my absolutely weird defense of the Colorado Thunderbirds comes into play, as I believe this is a program that has turned out a lot of pro alumni that -hmm. it's not getting enough credit for. And it's a joke because it is AAA hockey at the end of the day. And then from there, I started to find community and I was watching a lot of USHL games. I had ties to Nebraska. And so I went out to see a Lincoln Stars game, watched the Omaha Lancers, Tri-City Storm. Like I just started watching a lot of USHL. Obviously, this was around the time that I was looking at colleges. So part of my search for what college I wanted to go to was going to more college games, found myself falling in love with DU and that program. Um, And so from there, I just had this huge history of watching young players. And the other part of it is when I finally got my driver's license, I was able to drive up to training camp in the summers by myself. Like that was sort of the way I got to experience hockey on my own terms. And so I was watching quite literally prospects. This is when they had the Burgundy White game as well. And so I was able to see some of these players that might not be in an NHL game ever in this setting playing live hockey. And I loved it so much. And I would take the camp rosters each year and make little notes about players that I thought showed very well. And I think from all of this together is where this interest in prospects came from. That's very fascinating. I guess uh, I actually, I honestly didn't realize that that was, did you go to DU? Is that the route? I went to DU. So my first job in hockey was technically DU athletics. It was a marketing social media promotion kind of job. So I wasn't really in the thick of it yet, but I just really fell in love with the program even more getting to work there. Let yeah. me ask you something about the DU program. Sorry, Eric. No, no, no. Quick. Go for it. Go for it. I've always said that it's 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 such a shame how little attention the DU pioneers get here in town from a hockey standpoint, primarily, right? I, I guess you having been within that program and, and you know, even a fan of it, would you agree? And I guess how how do you think us as media and journalists as a whole can try to change that here in town real quick before you answer that megan i am blown away in these four years the difference in coverage for the michigan wolverines and the du pioneers the wolverines are a storied program but they haven't won as much as the du pioneers in my lifetime and i am absolutely blown away like jj said that's a very good point it's it's night and day the difference in coverage That's actually such a good point, too, because you're right with the overall total in championships being so close in number, but so much of DU's success being in recent times. It is interesting. I think the coverage has definitely ramped up more than it was before. Like I was watching DU hockey in a Gwazdecki era, and that was when I noted maybe something of attendance issues. It was still an arena that was drawing fans, but it wasn't even the product on ice or Guazdecki. I think he was a terrific coach, but something about the Montgomery era, obviously the success that he did eventually find too, obviously brought about better turnout in terms of attendance. And I think it, cause I remember I went to the dentist and she was telling me how she is not a hockey fan, but she got season tickets to do. And this was right after they had won the championship. And so I think it's trending in the right direction because I think with the abs winning and do you winning, Hockey is generating some buzz in Colorado as a whole. I think this has naturally been building, but I think that also helped to get people interested and college hockey is accessible. But like Eric mentioned, I still don't know if media is where it's at. Like I know their PR comm person well, and 
he is always excited to have media come and cover games. I think the the difficult part with American League coverage too is a lot of people are covering NHL teams. And so it's just hard to cover multiple teams at once. The other part of it is the money to be made there. Like there just hasn't been a lot of money put towards the coverage and reporting that comes out of even American League coverage, but also NCAA. At least here in Colorado, like I think as this program continues to see success, it's going to be really hard to deny it. But I think geographically, they're hindered a little bit because I just don't know if hockey has taken off quite the way it has in other places like in Minnesota or Michigan. But I'd like to see it. And I think it's building towards that with the state getting more like they're getting a null team and there's already three D1 teams here. Um, I think if the Eagles too, if they see some success under Schneekloff, this is just another avenue for hockey to continue growing in Colorado. But the writing's on the wall. I think that it's happening, but I think why it hasn't happened sooner is money, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I could see that. I think there's a really cool connection over the last 20 years with DU hockey, starting from when David and Matt Carl were players here. And obviously David now being the coach, um, I know a lot about the era of obviously because Mike Chambers was a big uh, mentor to me and he's a big DU yes. guy. There was a lot of connections, like starting from 0405 or around that time, I think Paul Stastny was on DU as well when they won. Uh, David Carl obviously had to transition from player to volunteer coach because he had to retire because of a diagnosis at a very young age. And Guazdecki put him on the staff as a volunteer and assistant coach or something of that nature, just like to keep him around. And he ended up getting drafted, I believe, by the Tampa Bay Lightning just as more of a honorary draft pick in the seventh and final round. If you guys remember the Tampa Bay Lightning, they had this weird ownership for a couple years. It was Oren Cools and Len Berry. Len Berry being Tyson Berry's dad and Oren Cools. And they came in and they bought the team and they promised a whole bunch of things and then ended up selling the team. And that's when Jeff Vinnick came in and bought the team and kind of gave them the stable franchise and ownership that they are now. But Oren Cools was the owner and his kid played with David Carl in high school. So he went out of his way to draft kind of similar to what we saw this year, how David Poyle made a trade with Tom Fitzgerald just for the hell of it to be like, yeah, my first captain, I made a trade and this is my last trade ever. Oren Cools went out of his way to, with the Tampa Lightning. I think their GM was Jay Feaster and they drafted David Carl in the seventh round just as an honorary thing to kind of, you know, thank him for, for being the guy that he is and, and, you know, going through what he went through at such a young age, David Carl ended up being the assistant to Guaz. Guaz ends up moving on to surprise the Tampa Bay Lightning as an assistant coach, where he assisted coached the team for a couple seasons, I think, before settling at Valor High School, where he still is now. Carl remained as the assistant coach for Montgomery. Montgomery left. Carl's now the coach. So there's just been over the last 20 years this deep connection between all the coaching staffs. We've seen multiple championships. Obviously, I think they went back to back in that Paul Stastny, Matt Carl, David Carl era. And then uh, ended up winning another one here in 2022 when the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. So I think DU is a wonderful program. Uh, I wish it had more coverage. And, and like you said, it's it's money around the program. I think there is still an untapped potential of Colorado being a hockey market that we have not hit yet. It has grown immensely. Like it has grown like crazy. I remember uh, 
you know, Mike Chambers' kid played for Guazdecki at Valor, and that was considered a huge deal. And everybody at the high school talked about this Tampa Bay Lightning assistant coach that used to coach at DU and like things that kids never used to talk about in Colorado. It wasn't a thing. And, you know, we've seen it grow, but there's still an untapped potential to me. And part of it is that college program and that love for DU hockey the way that you would have for you know, what you're seeing now with prime taking over with the CU boulders football team and, and, and uh, you know, the difference that that's made for that program, for example. I actually met Mike Chambers while I was a student and he was so kind and generous with his time and did let me do an interview actually to ask about this industry and getting a job in it one day. And I remember he told me about some of his origin story and intro to reporting and it didn't start with hockey for him. I believe it was racing. And yep. I always valued, though, that he took the time to talk with me. And I love that you pointed out the connections between coaching staff, because even presently, the director of amateur scouting, Wade Kleppenstein for the Avs, is friends and former teammates with Tavis McMillan and Dallas Ferguson at DU assistant. Mm. And they have this close relationship. And I think a lot of the familiarity with Sean Barron's, um, because he was committed to DU from such a young age, stems from that. And so I think that the Sean Barron's pipeline to the Avs is explained a little bit through that connection. Yeah, that's awesome. I think, again, it's it's something that you should take advantage of. I've made jokes my entire life, and I still do it now. The Red Wings love their Michigan Wolverine players. And why wouldn't you? Like, it's right up the road. It's a great program. Go scout those guys. Go draft those guys. It's why Dylan Larkin's there. It's why they went hard. They wanted Zach Wierenski really, really, really hard. They, they, They've always had these guys. It's why Andrew Kopp is there. It's why JT Comfer is there. They love their Michigan Wolverines. And we always make a joke, oh, here comes the Red Wings drafting or trading or signing for another Wolverines player. But you should do that. The Avalanche should do that with DU. DU is closer to Ball Arena than Ann Arbor's Yost Arena is to the, not the Joe, the Little Caesars Arena. Like, it's right there. You should take advantage of that program, the connections you have, and use that as your own scouting grounds. And, and I think the Avalanche should do more of that. Sean Barron's is a, is a big step. Obviously, they kind of fumbled the bag a little bit with Will Butcher. He didn't end up being a, as good a player as we thought he would be. Um, they did get Paul Stastny from DU. That was a good one. But you should definitely have more guys coming out of there to play for the Avalanche someday. Or anti-laxinant. Anti-laxinant. That's I'm OG a like that. I remember crap. watching anti-laxinant at DU. I think it was the old building before yep. Magnus was built. Um, but yeah, th there's always the, the connection there. I apologize once again for interrupting our conversation with our awesome guest. Thanks to Megan Angley for joining us today. She's a, a great conversation and a great person to be around in the press box. But of course, we have to take a pause for the cause, and that's Superbook Sports. We're changing the game. Help your bets stay hot this summer at Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code MILEHIGH, you score up to $250 with their free first bet bonus win or lose superbook will match your first bet up to 250 dollars with promo code mile high download the superbook sports app enter the promo code mile high and you'll get 250 bucks courtesy of superbook sports of course visit superbook.com for terms and conditions gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 back to our awesome conversation with megan and Megan kind of brought up the Eagles, right? And if the Eagles can really continue to grow their brand up in the north part of the state, um, obviously it's going to be huge for hockey as a whole. But, of course, they just changed coaches, as she mentioned, with uh, Aaron Schneekloth being the, the uh, named the new coach. 
I always feel like there's a dedication to making the Eagles a good hockey team. I mean, even before they were affiliated with the Avalanche, there was always success there, right? Even back in the ECHL days that partially due to the, to the good fan base that they've grown there. So where are they going now? Are they still continuing on this, I guess, trajectory of greatness and being competitive and being true contenders? I know they were just in the playoffs, but it seems like there's a little bit of a shakeup from the whole organization kind of top down, not just uh, the avalanche. So the Eagles kind of seem to have a lot of new faces this year too. I'm really excited about the changes and the success, like you mentioned, starts at the ECHL level. And that's actually under the leadership of Schneekloth, which in a second, I'll touch on why I'm still excited for the direction the Eagles are headed, but he leads them to two back-to-back Kelly cups. That is then what allows them to jump to that next level and become an American league team. And for each league they've, or for each year they've been an AHL team, they've improved their record year by year, advanced a little bit further in the postseason year by year. And that's with now Cronin under the leadership that you're seeing that happen. And Schneekloth also as an assistant, an integral part of that coaching staff alongside Tim Branham as well, who had a lot of influence on their East Coast League success as well, because Branham was a part with the Grizzlies. Um, and now together, Last season, the context for it is really important for a lot of reasons. It's important in evaluating the development of prospects generally because we saw unprecedented amounts of injury plague the Colorado Avalanche, but this also trickled down and affected the Eagles in a detrimental way. They were able to stay above water for the most part, but they saw 53 different players in an Eagles uniform in the course of a season. This means players like Jean-Luc Foudy and Oscar Lawson and now Sam Boranta, who's no longer with them, were playing alongside a grab bag of players and that is so inconsistent and not good for their development that I think last year is the year we have to put a little bit of an asterisk by when we're evaluating someone like Oscar Lawson, just for example. But even still, their regular season record ends almost exact, like in terms of standings and wins percentage as the year before even in spite of all this. And so I think that they would have had an even better regular season had it not been for all of the injuries. And so as a result, then call-ups also happening. They lose players that were a part of their leadership group in Megna and McDonald. They lost their captains and they earned a new captain in Brad Hunt who spent most of his season with the Avs. And so all of this context points to a better future for the Eagles. Now, even with some of the loss of personnel, including head coach Greg Cronin, they have already made some pretty significant offseason moves, bringing in players that I think are going to be so solid to put alongside an Oscar Lawson and to back up. Or I even feel it's going to be a starting 1A, 1B tandem kind of thing with Houston on Eustace Anunen and um, the Arvid Holm, the goalie that they got as well. And so I think that we're looking at a much better year ahead for the Eagles and the success is there for Schneekloth. He has been working with the defensemen a lot in Loveland. And this starts kind of with, I'm going to attribute a little bit of the success to Connor Timmins, Ryan Graves, being able to make something of a leap to the next level. Now, obviously Timmins had a, a slightly different path forward because of injury, but Ryan Graves became an NHL player. And some of that starts with the work that he was doing in Loveland, largely with Schneekloth. And so I very much feel the Eagles are in good hand, uh, hands under his leadership because of what he's been able to do. I don't even want to say behind the scenes, but it wasn't just Greg Cronin who was a part of 
some of the success they were seeing in players reinventing their game, young or old. And so with that in mind, I think Schneekloth is very much a teacher, just like Cronin. I'm excited then for what's to come and also looking forward to the prospect pool, being able to take more of a leap forward because Oscar Lawson is due for this. I think that last year hurt his how the fan base views him as a prospect and I think that he has a lot more to give and hopefully with some more consistency with both the Avs and the Eagles this can be made possible I have two things to follow up on that uh from all the information you just gave us the number one is the goalie Arvid Holm uh tell me more about him what you know about him I don't want to put you on the spot if you don't know a lot but you talked about him being a tandem goalie this is a behemoth of a guy I remember looking him up when the avalanche first got him six foot five 200 something pounds uh former draft pick of the Winnipeg Jets I want to say um and obviously has been playing with their with their AHL team what did the avalanche see in this guy what do you see in this guy and why do you think that he's going to play a lot of hockey because to me when the Avs let go of Jonas Johansson, obviously Keith Kincaid, and didn't sign that type of player, that veteran goalie, third goalie kind of thing. It says to me that you got George, you got Frankie, and now they're relying on Annan to be the third stringer. But to you, is there a chance, I guess, that Arvid Holm could be that next call-up guy? And, and and what do you know about him? Well, in era, for a couple seasons now, you've been the one saying like, hey, they're really counting on Annan to take this next step. They're really counting on Annan yeah. to take this next step. So when uh, Megan just brought up that now it's going to be more of a 1A, 1B situation, it seems like they might be losing a little faith in Annan there and are bringing somebody to challenge him or push him you know, either way, um, they they want more out of that situation there. I think it's kind of insurance because they actually ut- utilized Johansson in a similar way with Eustace Anunen. They were splitting starts pretty evenly, but Eustace Anunen had the favor. Like he had the first start of a series. And if there was maybe like a three game deal, he would get two of the three. And so I still think the faith is there for Eustace Anunen but they're perhaps trying to balance the workload a little bit more evenly and account for the possibility that if Eustace Anunen is called up for the Avs, they need somebody who is a starting caliber goaltender in net in Loveland, and that can be Arvid Holm. I think the difference in direction that they're making with Holm versus uh, Johansson or Keith Kincaid is his age. He's a much younger goaltender who I think has a bit more ceiling to realize than some of these other veteran presences. And as a result, I think they kind of view him a little bit like a prospect as somebody that they, I actually don't even want to put a cap on what they see his potential to be, but because he's so young, I think that's the difference in direction they're taking. But with all the injuries last year, Houston Anunen got, I don't know how many games he got the NHL level, but he at least got a couple. And I think this is because they still do believe in him and they wanted to get him in games, despite the circumstances being kind of bad, to see where he's at. Um, All this put together, I actually don't think Eustace Anunen had a down or bad year by any stretch of the imagination. And a lot of the struggle, I think, was you look at to like the volume of shots he faced compared to other goaltenders in the league, because there was a point near the end of the season, I looked at the standings and Houston, Eustace Anunen was still among league-leading goaltenders in terms of save percentage, but you compare then the shots faced for Eustace Anunen compared to some of these old, other goaltenders, and it is so disproportionately high for Eustace Anunen because he is just dealing with a lot in net. And so I think some of 
Arvid Holm is to also address that a little bit too. That's just a lot of heavy workload. It's going to be shared just a little bit more. And because he's so young, I think he is the guy to get those starts when Yusuf Sanun is called up. I wouldn't be surprised if they also utilize Holm. I just, I know they were playing with waivers so much with Jonas Johansson, and it was such a risk and such a gamble um, that maybe they're hoping this is more of a sure thing too for a player to get through waivers. I don't know if he's waiver exempt. Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure his age is, he was born in 98 or sorry, Eustace or, or Arvid? Arvid. Arvid. Yeah. He was born in 98. So I would assume he's not, but he also doesn't really have NHL experience. So I don't, I don't think he has to go through waivers. That's the one rule that always gets me. Yeah. I, I struggle Which, with that one. If we're right about that, could be a selling point for yeah. Arvid Holm getting up and down more easily than yeah. Jonas Johansson. Yeah, I'll have to look more into that one. The question that I have, the follow-up with that is, where is your confidence level in Eustace Annanen turning out to be a good NHL goalie? Because when you look at his numbers, you know, the NHL taste that he had, he was 1-0-1 in 2022. We remember that game he came in, I want to say against Ottawa and finished it, or Philadelphia and then played Ottawa as a starter. Um, and then there was this year, he obviously also had two games, was also in the eight-something 850 something safe percentage obviously the avalanche this year like you said it's an asterisk with some of these games uh but when you look at his ahl numbers in 2022 he wasn't all that well but in 2023 he did take a pretty good step like he was 22 10 and 8 he played 41 games so exactly half the season he had a 916 safe percentage so he was pretty good there so i guess what is your confidence in him taking that next next step just looking at other goalies like joseph wall for the toronto maple leafs he was six and one in seven nhl games with like a 930 he played in the playoffs and was a 915 so do you think eustace has what it takes this year to make that impression in the nhl and i still sort of pencil eustace in a third string role at the moment but i do think he could fulfill that in the near future he went head to head with dustin wolf in the stockton heat series last last year and yep. it was a goaltender battle, and they both did extremely well. I think a lot of that, too, like Eustace Annanen's postseason play that year specifically was so strong. He was a bright spot, and I think the reason they saw the success that they did, it was just really hard to beat that Stockton Heat team that year. And a lot of it was that was his first year getting acclimated to North American ice, and there was a goaltending coach change, um, Ryan Bach, to – Peter Budai and he's yeah. now had a full season under Peter Budai he spent most of that season as well with Peter Budai because it happened around January but this last year when you pointed out that the numbers were actually a pretty good step forward I think that's him growing more comfortable a little more confident working with the same goalie coach throughout the year and that's why my confidence is still high for Eustace Anunen okay awesome now my second follow-up the second thing I want to talk about did you have anything else about the goalies JJ uh, I was just thinking, just I, I hope we don't have to see them because I personally love the current Avalanche goalie tandem so much, and I, I see so much potential in what Pavel Francouz can do as a, a backup guy that I, I want to see him play the whole season. I, so that's all that's been running through my mind is just, yeah. man, I, I need to see these two goalies be healthy this year and not see much of Eustace Annanen because I want Pavel Francouz's future in Colorado to continue. Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's a fine line between what the Avalanche had last season or, you know, the last three years, I would say, with their goaltending. Even the year they won the Cup where one of their two 
main goalies are out four to six weeks, six to eight weeks. A month for Frankie's case, an entire season in 2021. There's a fine line between that and uh, you know Frankie needs three games off, so Annan will back up, or Georgie needs three games off. Like those are fine, those little stretches. But I'm just hoping that when you do have those, if the Avalanche are playing five games in nine nights. Let's say it's a homestand and not that they have this on their schedule, but it's five games in nine nights, every single one at home. And, you know, Georgie suffers an injury that's going to take seven to 10 days to, to, to heal up. You want to have the confidence to not have to play Frankie five games in a row. You want to be able to say, Annan could step up. He could take on the Winnipeg Jets. He could take on the Nashville Predators. And he's going to give you a 920 and 930. So, Is it so crazy to just ask for no injuries at all? Is it really that insane? (laughs) With this team? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the funny thing about this team is, you know, we're doing it again. And I'm seeing it again on Twitter. Everybody is tweeting their depth charts. Here's what the Avs first line and the second line and the third line is going to look like. Here's what the defense is going to look like. And I'm going to like, guys... By October 20, there might be two, three guys out of the lineup. I don't think it's going to be to the level of last season, but you got to take that into account. And that's why it's so important to have that defense or that goaltending depth. At, well, even the defensive depth, but that's why it's important to have that goaltending depth. And why we're even talking about guys like Annan and Arvid Holm is because you're going to need those guys to step up. So um, very good point there on Frankie and Georgie, but I do think that you're going to hope that in the three, four, five games that Annan might need to play, he's not an 850 goalie. So that's kind of where I'm at with him. Now, let me go from there to the second follow-up I had on your prospect pool is Jean-Luc Foudy. Where are you in his development in being kind of the forward version of Eustace Annan, where he can come in and be effective rather than another guy that Jared Bednar plays for four minutes and for nine games and then sends him down? You know, I'm encouraged by the amount of leash or runway that was given to young players called up last year. Not only that, but as many that were called up last year. Like, Foodie getting in nine NHL games feels like sort of a turning point then for my guess at what his utilization could be in another call-up, which I think he's earned. I think that he showed well enough. There's still some parts of his game that I think they'd like to see him not only solidify, but do so consistently. And those are the kind of blue collar things that a depth player does, which isn't really his role with the Eagles, but it is something that he's been working on in recognizing his path to the NHL isn't going to be a top six wing. It's going to be doing the necessary things that a third or fourth line player would do. And this is something they've been working on with him that I think he's prepared to then be effective in games next season. The only thing I will say is he missed a fair amount of time at the end of this season And is, you know, as recently as development camp, still rehabilitating an injury. And I think it was one of those that was kind of, it came up, it lingered, he played through it a little bit, it didn't quite get better because he was still playing. And so he just needed this full length of time to get healthy. With that in mind, then, I'm a little unsure with some of that time missed because it's valuable time that he would be getting those reps in to become a more consistent player that Jared Bednar could trust that he kind of missed out on, that I... I feel bad about. I still think he's going to get the chance. I still think he's going to be effective because the one thing that he can do well that can't necessarily be taught or just changed in a player's game is matching the pace at which the ads play. And the speed is something that he already does so well. So the other intangibles in the game, um, you know, the 
way he can engage in contact and also there's a little bit of discipline at the next level that he needed to fine tune. I think he was just overreaching with his stick at points. Um, these are things that can be worked on. And that's why I have confidence that he would still be effective in a call-up position. He's still one of the prospects that I am highest on. Another that would be such a win for the development department because of this player falling to the third round and potentially being an NHL player. I think it's really exciting. And each year, Foodie has gotten better. And the jump he took the year before last, started around March, carried into the playoffs, was such a big leap. Seeing that kind of transformation in such a short amount of time is why I continue to be high on John McFoodie. I The one thing that I'll always remember about Jean-Luc Foodie, obviously, in hindsight, it wasn't the best prediction, um, and not to bash the guy by any means, but JJ and I in 2020, we had a prospect guy on named Tony Ferrari, who wasn't super high on Justin Barron, just coming off of the blood clot season, which makes sense as to why. And when the Avalanche took Jean-Luc Foodie in the third round, he said, this makes up for what I feel wasn't the best pick in the first round is getting this kid in the third round. So I always think of that as the avalanche got a good one and I've been waiting for three years to see what he could be. Um, and obviously that's, that's why we ask you these questions. It's the same thing why we ask about Eustace Annan and it's, you know, I see his numbers in the NHL and obviously the opportunity isn't, isn't what it should be at this point. Um, but you're the one that sees these players pretty much every single night in Loveland. You're the one that's tracking them. I don't pretend that I watch HL games. I don't pretend I've watched Kovalenko games as much as researched about him and then researched highlights when I started to learn more about him. Um, but obviously in the HL level, that's why we ask you. So I'm excited for Jean-Luc Foudy. I'm excited to see what he can bring. He was one of the best skaters in that draft year. And I think that's why your prospect guy was surprised yeah. to see him fall to the third round. And that's what gives me excitement about him because it continues to be the strength in his game. He is such an effective skater, open ice, in traffic. He's so fast and so agile. It is such a compliment to the way the Avs like to play, too. And then the parts of his game that he's been working on has been some of the playmaking. Like, he used to defer a little bit too much, but he's been trying to balance distributing the puck as well as just taking shots. And it's something that you see that on paper is translating a little bit, too. Like, he is finding more offense in his game. But he's also working on the little details, and I appreciate that he's putting in that work too. Everybody out there is going to be listening to this podcast <laughs> and not watching it, but I have a video shot here of Megan, and every time a prospect's name is brought up, she smiles. Just It's a natural reaction from her, so I love how into the prospect pool you are. But, of course, you cover the Avalanche as well. You're in that press box with us. Um, just a quick question about the current Avalanche team and the moves they've made this offseason. Do you feel like there's – I guess an added element of excitement for for this season for Avalanche fans and media alike, um, just especially against last year and kind of the the weird season that was. I feel like there's a little bit more. I I, I guess excitement's the only word I can think of uh, around this upcoming season. Absolutely, I look critically at anyone who is not feeling excited about mm -hmm. the upcoming season because it can only go up from here, it feels like. I almost don't want to say that aloud, but the number of injuries last year was such a challenge, and I don't foresee it reaching that level of bad again this year. And then the other thing is the core is still intact in so many ways. It's not actually such a far cry from the 2022 team. This is still a team with Cal McCarr and Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon. I always get excited about that year by year. The other part, and you kind of touched on this earlier, but 
I do feel that they got things really correct in net. And I am so excited for the future of this team when they are a little bit healthier and what we can see from Alexander Georgiev in net, because I think he was such a bright spot in an otherwise difficult year. And this is such a cost effective contract that he's on and he's going to be an app for a little bit now. And so we get to see the rest of that with Alexander Georgiev and a hopefully healthier lineup in front of him. And then the other part is some of these new faces and, um, you know, in seeing how heavily the Avs targeted some of them and also recognizing the amount of money they're investing in their third line, it invites a little bit of concern, but it also invites excitement that they are seeing something and the amount of money that they're putting towards Miles Wood and Ross Colton to get a little excited by. And then the other part of it is the opportunity for a player like a Ben Myers who had, I think, an unconventionally bad season. Like, I think he played better than the lack of goal scoring indicates. And I think that there is so much more for him to give. There's a reason he was a highly sought after free agent. And there's a reason he chose Colorado in the end. And I'd like to see someone like that, especially take a step forward. And I'm really counting on a lot more health. It doesn't have to be perfect, but that by itself is a reason to get excited. Yeah. I think uh, Ben Myers like you said, it can only go up from here for the season that that describes Ben Myers in a nutshell. The big thing for me for this season, look, we can look at the added depth and it is a huge part of this team and how much that's going to help. It's unfortunate Landeskog won't play, but he didn't play last season either. And we're comparing this to last season in terms of the avalanche stepping forward. Um, but the defense is the big one to me. I, I've been saying this for 12 months now. The avalanche are a team built with defense first and that's not a crack at McCarr or sorry not McCarr but McKinnon ran in any of the forwards that's just a lot of praise for how good their blue line is Kel McCarr missed one quarter of the season and was playing injured when he was playing and still ended up a Norris Trophy finalist and you could argue that Kel McCarr for his level had a down year Bowen Byram missed half a season Josh Manson missed two-thirds of a season you just get a healthy Kel McCarr being Kel McCarr, who in his quote down year was a Norris Trophy finalist, you get a healthy season out of him. You get your first healthy season out of Bowen Byram, and you get even 60 games out of Josh Manson. Just that upgrade alone is going to elevate this team. And that doesn't even account for Johansson and Colton and Wood and Druin. That doesn't even account for McKinnon and Ranton and coming off the seasons they came off of. That doesn't account for Kovalenko possibly jumping into the lineup. Ben Myers making that next step. Georgiev following up the season he had Frankie being healthy like there are so many parts to this team to be excited for to me it's that blue line I just think that you know with guys like McKinnon and Ranton and McKinnon especially there's going to be this reinvigoration because of the the front office's ability to invest in the team and he knows that they're investing in him and trying to win now and I think you know, he's the ultimate guy to chalk it, chalk last year up as a loss and just start fresh. I think we're going to see continued heights of Nathan McKinnon. I know it's hard to yep. continue to raise the bar for that guy, but I think he's going to continue to grow and we're going to see a lot of pep in his step early on in the season. But yeah, and real quick, we we could we could do an episode on this for a full hour, but just the McKinnon Druen mm-hmm. thing to me mm-hmm. is is just so yep. fascinating that McKinnon would go out on a limb for somebody like that. There's just so many parts of this team to be excited for. Right on, Megan. Closing thoughts, I guess. It's a, it's been a whole hour already. Um, 
of course, thanks for joining us today. But um, anything else you want to get off your chest before we head out here, out of here for the week? No, I just, I can't wait to lower your seats in the press box this upcoming season. <laughs> it was you behind it the entire no, time. Okay. It was, it, everyone did it, you know, uh, at different times. So I, you'll never I, know where it's coming from. I believe you. It all started when I lowered Jesse's chair. And, it's and, a chain reaction. Which, and it just it took off from there. Which for me and my Waluigi looking legs, it's it's a lot more different when you do it to me than Jesse. I'll just say that. So Waluigi I'm I'm, I'm keeping my I eyes. I don't even on know what that you. means, but I'm gonna Google. You it. You don't know who Waluigi is. You know I know who, who it is, but I don't know. I don't know what his legs look like or what that reference means. So ah, damn it, JJ, you're not a Nintendo <laughs> guy. Close the show. Let's end it. <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks again megan for hanging out with us it's been awesome and uh thank you yeah continuing here on the press box tour 2023 so of course ch check out superbook sports um yeah anything else Arif? megan we're done that's it that's it from me this is all i can give you on july 23rd of an off season <laughs> right on well if you made it this far on the podcast bless your pretty little heart let's make hockey for everyone we at you This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.